Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're going to hear me speak with Stephanie Luke. Stephanie Luke is a dear friend who happens to be an amazing artist from Hamburg, Germany. So you're going to hear that she has an accent. She sounds like a German. Um, uh, her English is amazing, and we talk about how she learned English. Uh, we're going to also talk about her creative process, how she became an artist, how she met her husband, and the magic that was involved. Uh, we give a little shout out to our friends Ariel and Shia Kane, uh, Instantaneous Transformation. You've heard me talk about them. And uh, we talk a little politics about the history of Germany and some of the politics that have happened here in the United States. Oh, what could be the similarities, you ask? Well, I think you know. Um, the good news is that at the time I am recording this intro, and when you hear this, um, you'll know that the Democrats kept the Senate, which I'm very happy about. We still don't know the outcome in terms of the House of uh, Representatives. Uh, but there was far from a sweep or a red wave or whatever they want to call it. And I personally feel great about that. Thank you to everyone who voted. Uh, participating in the process is crucial. Um, please subscribe to this podcast. Share this podcast. If you have questions or concerns, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. There is a place for you to leave me messages. I love to hear from you. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Stephanie Luke. Stephanie Luke, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for being on. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be with you, and I'm really curious what's going to happen here. <laughs> Excellent. Um, one of the cool things about interviewing people that I know personally is that like people like you that I know a ton about personally, I also know nothing about in many ways. Like I know you're German. I know you're an artist. And we'll talk about that and more. But I like have no idea where you grew up or any of your early life stuff or your story. And people are interested because... There's a lot of people who want to be artists and they think there's a right way to do it. And one of the cool things about interviewing people like you is to show everybody's got their own way and it really doesn't matter a lot of it. But let's just start off with the fact I know you live in Rosengarten, which is just outside Hamburg, Germany, with your lovely husband. But where did you grow up? I grew up in Hanover, which is um, approximately, I'm sorry, I only can do it in kilometers, like um, 150 kilometers from where I'm now. So it's a little more south. It's like a one and a half hour drive south from Hamburg. Great. It's a small town, like 500,000 people live there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had, as a kid, I, I grew up a little bit at the outside of the city. My grandparents, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, um, had a lovely sweet tiny house and a garden so we spent a lot of time there my sister and I and uh, even though even as a kid I was drawing and you know doing creative stuff and writing stories for my sister as soon as I could write I had no idea I would ever become an artist 
I love that uh, because people, some people think that there's a right time to make that kind of decision. Uh, and I love it when you reveal that that's not the case. Um, so uh, obviously, as a little kid growing up in Germany, uh, you went to school. Uh, was there anything that you were particularly interested in other than well, that? I hated school. <laughs> Like probably most kids did. Uh, not always, though. Um, and as I said, I love doing arts, but art in school was not. I had a lot of really, I dare say, bad art teachers who were, looking back, I would say very narrow-minded. So every one of them had like a very small view on what art actually is. Um, I was very interested in German literature or in literature in general, um, and everybody thought I would become a journalist or an author because that was like my main focus through all my school years from the start till the end. That was what I was good at and uh, I loved it. I love stories. I read a lot. Like, give me a book, I read it. doesn't matter what the context is. So wow. And by the way, just so people are like, wait a second, she's German and her English is amazing. That's true. Uh, there aren't a lot of Americans I know who speak more than one language. Um, was that part of your experience growing up in Germany to study English, or did that happen later? That happened later. Um, I was really bad in English in school. I nearly almost failed. <laughs> but didn't you, did you ever live in England? Yes, I did. And that actually happened when I um, studied art. The university I studied with did an exchange with the Slate School of Fine Art in London. And I was one of the two lucky ones they took for the exchange. And as you know, I love talking with people. So um, I had no chance but learn English. And I learned really fast. And the cool thing was that for me, because I went there, I had a little English, I prepared a little bit, and a friend of mine who grew up with three languages and spoke German and English fluently was the second one who, who went to England. So I kept asking her questions in the bus, every advertisement I couldn't understand. It was like, what is that? What does that mean? What, you know, so that was helpful. And for me, learning English, not like, you know, like boring vocabulary, like one, <laughs> which really didn't work out for me in school. I just talked to people and they corrected me when I was wrong. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, I feel the same way about language. You can learn all the conjugations, but the truth is when you speak with people, some of that is either never used or used improperly. You know, the, the, the native speakers don't speak textbook language. I've certainly experienced that in Spanish here in New York. People speak an amalgam or you know, mixture of Spanish and English and who knows what else. And each country has its own version of Spanish, which makes it even more bizarre. As you know, with English, you know, we have English friends in common. And there are words that they say that I have no idea what they are. And it's my language and vice versa. And there are expressions that you hear in English that some people like more than the actual English. You hear them in rather American, uh, you know, um, I don't know. We talk about apartments. Almost nobody ever refers to a flat. A flat <laughs> might be, oh, your tire got punctured, uh, just as a small example. And then there's odd expressions like I'm chuffed. 
I don't know what, I didn't used to know what that means, but because I watch British television, I've learned. <laughs> um, with German, I feel it's, I, I, I was surprised. I have traveled throughout Germany, thankfully. I will continue to, I hope soon. But I, I will reveal that we've been in each other's houses, that we've literally stayed over with, uh, because you visited here recently and Holly and I, my wife, have visited your home. So uh, we're, we're familiar, really familiar with each other. But different parts of Germany are very different, just like the United States, even though Germany is smaller. So people growing up in the South, um, or even dare I say Bavaria, which is very different, are very different from the Northern people of Hamburg, which is a stone's throw from Denmark. And, you know, if you make a left, I guess you could go to Amsterdam. Uh, maybe that's closer. And then there's Cologne. Um, and I discovered, because we have friends in common who live in Cologne, who run a theater, that there's a whole way of speaking German in Cologne that most Germans don't understand. <laughs> I, I, I went to the theater and was watching this production in German, in Cologne dialect. And luckily, it was all explained to me. So I enjoyed the humor that I could tell just from seeing it. But I was there with other German friends who were like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> the language is, it's such an interesting thing, which then segues into art. Because my experience of art is one of the things I love about it is that it smashes the borders of language that when you see certain things in art, whether they're beautiful or uh, grotesque, politically powerful or very personal, they really translate well. Do you find that to be true? Yes, absolutely. I believe that is one of the main things why I love art so much, not just doing it or, or you know, being an artist myself, but I've recently been so enjoying going and seeing other people's artwork since COVID. You know, this year things opened up. I went to a few art fairs showing my art, but also went to a few things where I was just going to look at what's up. And, and I, it just made me happy. And it was like, I went to a really big art fair in the south of Germany and they had a huge variety of different art, like, painting, sculpture, really modern stuff, more classical stuff. Like you could find nearly everything there. And I went out after a whole day walking in there. I was like so inspired and thrilled because I think not everything spoke to me, obviously. Some things are just not my language. Like, you know, it was like, hmm, that's more Bavarian. I don't understand. <laughs> it's like, I think that that is true for art as much as for languages. It, it speaks to you and then you understand it it's a different type of language and some languages you understand immediately or you have a, a neck for you just love them and others are just not your thing. But in general, I, I agree. I like that you allowed yourself to be inspired by other artists. You know, I go uh, as a musician and a writer, I go to a lot of art and dance and other things that I feel just stoke my creativity in general. But I've noticed that some people do not like to see other people perform or create in their medium for reasons that they feel inadequate or they compare themselves or whatever the reason. But I love your attitude and I adopt it because I feel 
Like, I'm not going to be like anybody else. I can't be. I, I'm, it's, I'm not interested in copying anybody, but I can also look at somebody else's success and rather than say, oh, I should have a full band or, oh, I should play more instruments or, oh, I should be at a different level, I can just enjoy it and then go back to my creativity. And, I, you know, it's in the background. Everything's in the background. As an artist, we, we don't really know what's influencing us. And that's actually great because if we knew, I think we would stutter through our lives, uh, sorting and editing before we even get to it. Uh, so how is that for you? Did you, you seem unusual to me. I'm grateful for that. Well, you are unusual. You're an amazing person, but you, you, uh, can you talk a little more about letting people inspire you without comparison? Yes, of course. There's actually two things to it. The first thing is that long, long time ago when I studied art, my professor was a Danish painter, Per Kierkeby, who was a pretty famous gay, guy at the time. He, he, his art is so famous, he died. And um, he said something to me, like in my first year with him, he said, I was sitting around and I had no idea. You know, I was, I was like staring at an empty canvas and was like, I don't know what to do. And, and he looked at me and he said, you know what? Go over to the museum next door and copy something and don't be afraid. And then he said, it's better to copy something good than do it yourself badly. And, and, he explained it a little further. He said, if you just go and copy and, and, you know, train your craft, like, and forget about being artistic, the ideas will come to you. You will find your own voice if you're not trying so hard to be your own voice. And I, I love that. I did that as a musician. I would play every Beatles song and then, you know, every Neil Young song just with my guitar and singing. I, I wasn't going to write like these people. Uh, but it really helped me understand my instrument and my voice and what songwriting is. So anyway, I, it's it, perfect. I love, I love his, uh, I didn't know I was doing it, but uh, I listened to him without listening to him. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were going to say something. No else. problem. This is, you know, I love speaking with you. So <laughs> that was one of the main things that really stuck with me from five years studying, but, but that was like one of the most important things that not being afraid to get inspired by others, like, and he said, we are all connected in a way and ideas are not coming inside from us. He said, ideas are just out in the open and they, they you, are, you will just catch them like from the, you know, you will just voice them out. And of course your personality goes in it and everything, but I really liked this approach, which was not so, we had a lot of famous people at the time when I was studying and a lot of them had a really big ego and he did too. I think in, in a way that is just, it was just part of being a famous artist, but his was different, which is why I loved him so much. I was like, he really had a cool view on what inspires you and that, you know, comparing is a really stupid thing because he said, you just go for it. You find your voice. As a really, really important thing for me to be able to not compare or at least not compare a lot is, um, we are both attending seminars with Ariel and Shia Kane, um, transformational seminars. And I think I know them now for over 24 years. And I really learned with them that comparison is killing you, no matter where, actually, whether it's my art or, as you know, I, I studied art, but then I worked for a very long time as a designer. And um, like three years ago, 
my heart was like, you need to stop this. You're done with design. And it was great. I love doing it. But but I went back to art and I'm really proud of what I'm doing. I think the one of the reasons why my art developed so well, from my point of view, really quickly into something amazing is that I allowed myself to be without comparing, without trying to please anybody, but also looking and being inspired by others. I want to. I just want to say that if people are interested in Ariel and Shia Payne, they've heard me talk about them before. I consider them success coaches in many ways. Uh, TransformationMadeEasy.com. That's TransformationMadeEasy.com, um, and that's how I met you. Also, well over a decade ago, I believe. Uh, but you and I were recently having a conversation in my car, of all places, <laughs> about taking credit for art where we feel like we're just the vessel it comes through and we agreed we would definitely cash the checks um but i have a healthy respect for this sort of divine thing that comes to all of us artists that we choose to either ignore or encourage um but I, uh i i really feel that um there's I don't know much about psychology. I do know there was a guy named Carl Jung who believed that's Jung, J-U-N-G. He probably was German. I don't know. Yeah, German or Austrian, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, he believed in something called the collective unconscious, which uh, I don't know anything about, except I do know that I pick up other people's thoughts sometimes. And um, also, you can't deny that there are group ways of thinking and people kind of catch each other's well-being or lack of well-being and all that stuff um and i feel like you know if you hang out with creative people or put yourself in creative situations that also in my experience really helps um and i definitely know it doesn't help if you hang out with people who complain how hard it is to do something <laughs> if i hung out with a bunch of musicians who are like oh i'm not making any money i suck at this uh i would spend me personally would probably spend time trying to make them feel better rather than just going, you know what? I need to get out of here. You guys are a bummer. I'm going to go create something. Cause ultimately, even when I feel like I don't have a song in me, I don't feel like it. I will pick up my guitar and I will just play somebody else's songs. And if all that happened was I practiced my guitar and sang, that's great. Sometimes out of much like the copying thing you talked about, out of just playing some songs, literally something will pop into my head. And I have my pen and my paper right there in my book, my songwriting book. And even if it's, I just write one line or if I write four lines, great. Sometimes a whole song comes out. It's, it's not, it's really in a way, it's just not up to me. Now, I, I don't know if you have a similar practice. I see you're talking to me from what looks like your studio and yeah. I've seen and actually own some of your work. Um, it, some of it is up on this wall, which I blurred this thing. Sorry. But, um, the best way I don't like to describe artwork, but I would say that you work in many different ways. And uh, I think photography and prints and paint, you, you do a lot of mixed medium, I'll call it. Would you say that's accurate? Yes, that's accurate. What, what I do mainly is i mean i do small stuff which are actually sketches or just drawings or colored drawings mainly what i do is since i worked as a designer i worked a lot with photoshop which was like my digital medium it, it's just i'll just love it so 
when I stopped being a designer, I still use that to do like Photoshop collages. First of all, I started just doing them as drafts, like to get me ideas. And then over the last years, I developed a technique. So I, I do a collage of stuff I like. I mix photos I made from my travels. If people could see it, it's, there's a lot of like Indian, uh, you know, different cultures in one painting. So what I do is I, I mix it till I have a rough draft in Photoshop. Then I print the background on canvas, or I let I have it print on canvas pretty big, and then I paint on top of what I drafted before. So it keeps changing while I paint because I like I I really love the I have a concept, I have an idea what it should look like, but I love that the painting usually, like you said, with your music, has its own ideas. <laughs> I've written songs that I didn't want to write, or things come to me and I'm like, ah, that doesn't sound like me well it doesn't matter it's it is because it's happening um with your work one through line i think i find uh is color yeah and for me there's a joy in your work some of the some of it's more obvious uh one of your more famous works in your home i don't know if it's ever been seen outside of your home is you in a very expressive pose uh with an expressive facial uh expression lots of color, some paint on it. I think it is one of your best pieces. Um, and it's quite beautiful. Uh, but all of, I feel like a lot of your work has a lot of color and I would say it's a vibrant. Is that, is that a choice? Is that more like, oh, I don't know, this is just what I do? Like, how's that? It's both a little bit. It's in a way, I've always been about color. It's even as a kid, you know, color was like a natural thing to me. Like, and and black and white, I mean, I love, there's really cool black and white stuff, but for me, it's like, if there's no color, something's wrong. Well, that's great. I mean, then, you know, you know, I, I, I don't do jazz music. I'm never going to write jazz. I'm never going to write a disco song or a rap. I, I've heard all of those things done really well by people I really respect. And that's not me. Um, yeah. So I completely, I completely get that. Um yeah. I want to back up a little bit, though, because I feel like you're one of the artists who you don't just sit in your room and work. You have a very vibrant life outside of your work. Um, one of the things you and I share a passion for is sailing. And I don't talk much about sailing on this podcast, so I'm going to use you as an opportunity to do that. Um, and plus, it's a great insight into personal stuff with you because I think it's how you met your husband. <laughs> it is. So um, when did you start sailing? Was that a passion early or was it more recent? That is a really funny story. Well, one of the things is my, my dad was a really passionate sailor. And when we were kids, we went sailing with him occasion, not often, but from time to time. Because usually he went, his, he shared a boat with a friend who was also really, he was a really good sailor. And from time to time, he took us. And being on water with my dad was like the best times ever. And it was like all the stress fell off my dad. I mean, he was great anyway, but, but on the boat, it, he was like a different person. And that stuck with me. Somehow, I just feel like that I, I just inherited his passion for water during being with him on water. 
but over the years, you know, I moved to Frankfurt to study and moved to Hamburg and I, I didn't really go on water anymore because I just had a busy life. And uh, I must lie, about 20 years ago, I was ready to find the, my mate. I was sitting in my apartment and it was full moon and I had like a rooftop apartment. I was looking at the moon. I was sitting there talking to my universe and I said, you know what, universe, I'm ready. Where's, where's my mate? Where's the guy that stays with me? I just want someone who stays. Where's time for me? And this tiny little voice in my head said, go learn sailing. <laughs> I heartily ignored it for a full month. And I was next full moon sitting in my apartment, looking at the moon. I was like, hey, universe, where is he? I, I told you I'm ready. Where is he? This tiny little voice in my hand went like, go learn sailing. I was like, okay. So I went and found a sailing club where I could sail and not only learn sailing, but also they had boats for the club members. So I could, you know, keep sailing once I learned it, which made sense to me on the, on the lake in Hamburg, which is where I met my husband. Yeah, by the way, for people who don't know, there's this beautiful lake in the middle of Hamburg. Um, Hamburg's a beautiful city and in many ways reminds me of Brooklyn. You've been to both yeah. places. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so anyway, so you meet your husband. Tell us a little bit about that. So you go to this sailing school or, you know, to learn. And what happened? I went to learn. The thing is that this, this club, because there is multiple clubs on the lake, this club on his website had, the club also owns a catamaran at the Baltic Sea at a different club. But the, the catamaran, it's a beach catamaran, was a 16 foot hobby tiger, uh, not a tiger, a hobby, 16 foot tiger, a hobby. We later had a hobby tiger, which is a little bigger. Um, so anyway, they had this hobby cat. And, um, after two or three weeks, I talked to my instructor and said, Hey, you know, I saw on your internet, you have this hobby cat at the Baltic. Can I go and sail on this also? And he said, yeah, you can. Everybody can try. There is weekends to try. And the guy who is responsible, Swiner, he's over there. Right, I want to stop you for just a second. So people, people who don't know a Hobie cat is a catamaran, which has two hulls instead of a simple sailboat, which has one hull. And in the middle, instead of a deck, they have what we call a trampoline, um, which is not a real trampoline, but is a big stretch piece of canvas or other material that you roll around on from from one winch to the other. Um, yeah, that's how I would describe it. Um, because sailing on a catamaran is very different from sailing on a single-hulled sailboat. It's faster. It's a little more action. Um, it's a little more crazy, which suits people like, well, you, frankly. <laughs> it, it, me. But, it is. Right? It, okay. Cool. It is oh. great. It's like, it's a little bit like, well, I never surfed, so I cannot really compare it. I think it's, it's a little faster and the, the hobby cat is faster than, than the surfboard. And it is like, as you said, two halves and it's like a net in between. And hopefully you're not rolling around. Hopefully you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. So you, the guy, somebody pointed <laughs> to the instructor and yes. said, talk to him. Yes. There's this handsome man named Reiner. Right. Uh, who, uh, tell us then what happens. Um, well, as I remember correctly, I went to talk to Reiner, he, who said, um, yeah, next, I think next weekend or two weeks weekend, there will be, um, you know, everybody can come and we will show them the Hobby Cat and we can go on water and you can try it out with us. And then he gave me the number of a different guy and said he can 
you can drive this discount because we will be there early. So I drove with someone else and met him at the Baltic like a week later. And um, it was very funny because he he came out of the clubhouse with a different with another girl, but he really beamed at me like he was so happy to see me. And I was like, oh hey, you, you look nice. And then later on, when he was on water with someone else, I sat with this girl at the beach and said, Hey, Svenna, your boyfriend? Because, you know, I didn't want to, if, if he didn't engage already, I didn't want to make anything. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, no, no, I'm lesbian. And as far as I know, he's saying it, just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I, I love, she's like, oh, no, I'm a lesbian. Oh, good. <laughs> That's great for you. And great for you. Yeah. So, so um, we went sailing together and then, we came back and he went sailing with another guy and they got lost on the water because the, the wind stopped blowing and they were far out so they did not come back really and we went back to Hamburg with the other people and then he called me two days later and we just met at the club he said would you like it I said yes I did very much and we just had a date for a beer and I think he just came back with me into my apartment and never really left <laughs> oh, I was getting nervous about how much you were going to share. But you came back to my apartment, and and now I have to switch the sound off or tell people <laughs> to send their kids out of the room. But no, you're classier than that, and I appreciate that stuff. So he he you just you guys just got together and have yeah. been together ever since. Ever since, it's like he just really. I mean, he did left, of course, in the morning for work, and he went into his own apartment to change clothes. But he's basically coming to see me like every night and after three months we decided you know we don't need to pay for two apartments since you're here all the time and he just quit his apartment and moved in with me that's fantastic i, I love that and um of course i knew you after you were both married i'm sorry that's brooklyn making noise behind me <laughs> uh some truck drivers annoyed with people not moving even though they can't go anywhere um i can see it yeah, uh, so in any event, um, I, I'm going to say uh, for me that I think it is a misnomer or complete, just a wrongheaded notion that people have to suffer for art. Um, I am happily married, and uh, my happy marriage really supports. I'm looking this way because my wife is in the living room. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, besides buying me guitars and uh, encouraging me and loving listening to me play and appreciating me, really, the whole experience supports me in being creative. Um, I, is that true for you too? What's your experience? Yes, absolutely. It really is. Like um, What actually happened is that when I met Rainer, I was working, as I said, as a designer in various design areas and earned quite some good money. And then when I quit his job, um, he was an employee somewhere and started building his own business. And at some point, it was like we switched. He, like, he, his business really went well. And I, well, besides that, I was kind of tired doing design. I got ill. So I, I did not earn a lot for a while. And then at some point, as I said, we decided, wow, you know, it's like I wanted a lot of money. Then he, started bringing in a lot of money and we figured like, it's cool. I can just go and give up design and start being an artist again and invest in my art till it's where I want it because I had a vision, you know, of the quality I wanted. And I didn't want to 
I mean, I would have if I had to, but luckily enough, since Weiner supports me, not only monetary-wise, but he's really convinced that that is the thing I should do. Like, he's really convinced in the end I will make more money than we both together did before. <laughs> but I agree. <laughs> I, your artwork is fantastic. By the way, just before I forget to do it later, um, how do people get to look at your art? You have a website, right? Yes, I have a website. Um which is, uh, I just doing some updates, but you can see a lot already. Uh, I will have a web shop also very soon. It's in the making. I just need to figure a few details. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook or Instagram. And if you on Facebook or Instagram go Stephanie Luke, I spell it. It's Stephanie with F and Luke is L U E C K. And then art, like art. Uh, you will find me on Instagram as well as on Facebook. Um, and my website also is, you could just go Stephanie Luke, as I just spelled it, dot com. That's my website. Excellent. I love it when it's simple and straightforward. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you, you were just in New York. Did you have any art experiences while you were here besides just hanging out with me, which was artistic, I'm sure. But did you, I am pretty sure you went to some galleries and talked to some people. Is that true? Yes, we did on the last day. We, we also, I have to say up front, you know, being with people and we, we hang out with you and Holly, which was awesome and inspiring. And then we, we went to a seminar with Ariel and Shia Kane, which was just it's so rejuvenating and also inspiring being with my friends, you know, like, and you said that earlier, you know, this is a group of people where no one really, I mean, we complain, but not a lot where people are really interested in living a good life and taking responsibilities for their life. And there isn't a lot of complaint around, which I found is really inspiring. Mm. But also on Tuesday, we went to see some galleries. We had an appointment with one um, because they are only open on appointments. And then that was really nice. Also, it wasn't what I expected. It was smaller than I thought. And they have their main gallery in LA, which, which is the one I saw on Instagram. So uh -huh. it was still nice to speak with the manager and, and look around a little bit. But like on the street they were on, there's like a lot of galleries. So we just walked into a few and it was mm -hmm. really cool. It was a huge variety of different art. One had um, African guy who obviously had a theme of Africa and what's going on there. Another one had like really crazy art street, which I liked a lot. And um, then we found one where I actually made contact who had a variety of artists, which were a lot of them were really colorful. So you can, you know, I just like them a lot. <laughs> they were really cool. And we had a really nice chat with um, one of the managers in there. So that was very cool. I, I really appreciate it that they were so close to each other. You know, you could just walk the street and bump into one of the other. That, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to make a little turn here and I'm going to ask a little political thing, if it's okay with you. You know, we're struck. I think artists are on the front line of politics, in fact, because I think that art gets people to think and to um, engage in their lives, in every aspect of their lives. And I think that many of the more, how do I put this? 
Uh, certain political people don't want us to think, they don't want us to express ourselves. And in those times, I feel it's more important than ever to express ourselves. I'd much rather fight that kind of thinking with my music or with your artwork than with anything physical or breaking anything or being violent. And I think that um, now more than ever, it's important for people to support art in all its forms and to engage with art. Um, I'm going to just tell you when I first went to Germany and I was first having the experience of German friends, you know, I grew up as a Jewish kid in New York and I had a lot of prejudices about Germany from all the movies and the stories and things and, you know, history. And I was quite pleased and surprised to meet so many amazing people like yourself who got me to realize certain things happened and they were history, but they weren't a part of my life or your life. But what's weird is now I live in America and some of these things are happening here. Some of the things that there are memorials for in Germany or plaques or conversations or whatever are happening right here in my backyard. And I'm going to be honest, I find it distressing and disturbing. I'm, I don't try not to spend my whole life making that my life, but, um, you know, you being a German of uh, a similar age to me probably grew up, I know for a fact you grew up with a history of what happened in Germany in the National Socialist era, as they call it. Um, and look, I'm sure that your parents and grandparents had a very specific experience of that living through that time. Um, does that let me start with the easier questions. Does, did that have anything to do with your art or uh, even any aspect of your life growing up as a kid in Germany? It certainly did. Um, it's complex to explain. That's right. Um, uh, it, uh, yeah, sorry and not sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. Because usually it's nothing people really talk about a lot or think about a lot. It seems so long ago now. But in a way, it has to do with my art. It certainly had to do with my idea of becoming a journalist. Um, but I figured I'm not that kind of political. Like, you know, I'm far more subtle. And I think my art is far more political than it looks at first sight. If you look closer, you'll see it. But that's, that's the point for me is that I really, um, I started at the beginning. I need to. You know, when I when I was in um, like high school, I think that's what for you would be high school. Like all my history was like ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. It didn't matter. I was like Second World War and how bad Germans were. <laughs> it, at some point, I was like, "Leave me alone!" Uh -huh. You know, this is I got it. We are bad. It, of course, things that happened were horrific, out of question. But it was like nothing else existed. Like there was no other history before or after that. Mm, right. And then I had a French teacher who was also teaching history. And she also did um, the Second World War with us. And she was very cool. She said something that stuck with me for life. She said, you guys, because she did not say you bad Germans. She said, the things that happened are horrific and she really hopes nothing like that will ever happen on the planet again, but that we need to understand what happened for our ancestors and how this could happen. And she said, that is not an excuse at all. But if you don't understand what happened, 
it it will happen again. I know you and I had a discussion about the Treaty of Versailles and how it set the Germans up to suffer so much that they had no choice. Well, many felt they had no choice but to do certain things. Not everything. I'm just saying that it, you know, it destroyed the German economy and there were, uh, you know, uh, certainly if people know more about this than me, that there's a lot of people out there yeah. and they can certainly write to my show. But uh, I get that. And that perspective is important for a kid who all they hear is how terrible everybody in their country is or was or will be. Yeah, I think the main thing she was talking about was that she said it wasn't just the economy. I mean, that was bad enough. But she said that people were like Germans were treated so badly, like they were morally like nothing worse, you know, like they, and that made them prone to someone like Hitler. That was why so many people followed him without looking closely what he was actually doing. And she took us to some people who had been in a resistance. And that was very, very cool. It was like, and very touching. It was so, so different speaking with these people who had actually experienced this time. And from a point of view, would have been really high danger because if they had gotten caught, they would have just been killed. Mm. And even these people said that, that they had compassion, not with certain people. There are things that happened that really, there is absolutely no excuse for. But, but for the majority of people, they said they were just frightened and, and first, when it started, they thought, finally, someone sees our values. Finally, someone makes us feel we are also worth something. And then when things turn bad, they get scared. Right. They didn't see it coming. And they just got really, really scared. And still, none of it is an excuse because I think you always have a choice. But I also think it's always important to have compassion with people on all fronts. I, I couldn't agree more. And I don't, you know, talking about how being a suffering artist doesn't help you. Nobody does their best anything when they're hungry, when they don't have enough money, when they feel put upon, whatever. It's same with fear. Fear is a terrible motivator. And fear is just one of those things where when you go from being fearful to somehow you're able to not live in fear, it feels like you lost 20 pounds. I'll speak for myself. I've had that experience. It feels like you can jump really high when you couldn't even move before. Um, yeah. And I just, I wonder, you know, uh, what do you guys think when you look what's happening in my country? And I know you have a lovely home. And uh, is there room for Holly and me? <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely room for Holly and you always. Sure. <laughs> I mean, thank you. It's yeah. scary. I mean, and we don't we don't watch a lot of news because it's like it just it does exactly does you know it it and I don't think that is a good idea. It it makes me feel scared. And if I watch too many news, I, I yes. mean, we see what's happening. Of course, we watch some of it, but not too much. You know what, Eric? Still, and I really have no idea. I I do read a lot of alternative papers, though. Right. Well, not a lot, but but I mainly read alternative papers, like people who, who scientists or you know healing people or even esoteric people, like everything. But but a lot of scientists also who do studies on things where I think I do see a lot of good in the world in I, in all this craziness. 
I and love that. that. Still gives me hope. It's like I think you know there is there is a hunger in people for for more peace and more friendship. And of course, there's always crazy people. And of course, there's always people, you know, leading people who are just, from my point of view, crazy, crazy. And I don't know how the world can allow them to lead. But well, you know, it's interesting. Holly and I watched this show called Sunday Morning. It's on CBS in America uh, every Sunday morning. And um, I'm happy to plug them if people have never watched it. Um, it's it's got a bunch of longer stories. You know, the stories are not just 30 seconds, uh, a picture of something terrible, and then on to the next thing. It's usually stories that go in depth. And even if there's something sad or dark about it, it always ends up with some kind of uplifting thing at the end. Um, and more often than not, it's just uplifting and makes you feel like, oh, no, these are real people who are living in our world and doing these amazing things. Um, and then at the very end, they show about uh, 30 seconds to a minute of something in the middle of some wild place, like just some of the coral reef, uh, you know, uh, in uh, Australia or some national park here in the United States. And it's just 30 seconds of quiet, of watching it with the natural sounds. You know, here are the, uh, you know, the bighorn sheep in Colorado and you see them walking around and you hear the birds. And it's just like a perfect way to, to wrap up your Sunday morning as you go into the afternoon. And I feel like more of that, more of that is what I need and a lot of people need. Because um, we do ratchet up the fear and the excitement. And frankly, a lot of people get paid a lot of money to do that. And, um, and they get paid a lot of money to get you interested in that and stay on that all day. I had the experience in a previous life where I had a certain channel that de dealt with finances all day. And I'd keep that running in the background. And it made me crazy <laughs> watching the stock market and various financial news all day while I was doing other things. I was, I was like, that's just, it's basically a good way to drive someone insane. Luckily, that's a long time ago. I don't do that anymore. Um, believe it or not, we're getting close to wrapping up our time together. Um, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't touch on? Hmm. No. You look so elegant today. <laughs> I just want people to know you always look elegant. Um, Stephanie has short but stylishly cut hair, always in my experience. It is your nat. I assume it's your natural gray, much like mine is. Um, it's almost white. But you've had a variety of colors in the time I've known you. And they all they always look cool. Um, and um, your studio, I just urge people to look up your, you and your various platforms because your artwork is, is beautiful and bold. And um, frankly, people deserve to have it in their homes and enjoy it for themselves as much as I do. <laughs> and they can try to, they, you know, they, honestly, I'm a big fan of having original art in your home. Uh, make your home a museum and you don't have to, I mean, with Stephanie, yes, you will have to spend some money. Money <laughs> is that uh, costs as much, but it's well worth it. Stephanie's work is outstanding. Um, yeah, Can you absolutely. say one quick thing to that? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you. And I, I do think so too. And I really think, like you said, art, any type of art, not just my paintings, but, but art, 
I think people need uplifting things. And even though there's like small hidden stuff in my paintings that are political, they are mainly beautiful. And that's what I really want. They want to show the world, hey, the world is beautiful and this, the diversity is beautiful. And, and I think we need more uplifting. If I want bad, I turn on the news. The other thing I wanted to say is that if someone really is interested, don't be afraid to reach out to me. I have a huge variety in prices because there are small pieces like drawings or colored drawings that are really inexpensive. And I have limited editions, which are not very expensive. And I'm also, I just sold a big painting for some thousand euros and I made a deal with the guy who bought it. You don't have to pay it all in once. If that is something, if you fell in love with something, you can always talk to me. And as people probably noticed, I'm a very chatty person. And don't be afraid to reach out to me. There's always, you know, a solution if you want something. Yes, you're an excellent person to hang out and have a tea with. Um, <laughs> I will say, talking about language, you said unexpensive. And in English, we say inexpensive. But ah. I like unexpensive better because it's actually more accurate. Even though the word is inexpensive, it's unexpensive. So it makes sense in, in your German speaking mind and also in my English speaking mind. But, <laughs> but the people who write dictionaries have not called me. So it would be inexpensive. Um, but if they did call me, I would happily help them, but I would not be inexpensive or unexpensive. <laughs> <laughs> that is very funny because we're not like a translation for German because we would say um, unexpensive, not inexpensive. Both make sense to me, though. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, it has been, as it always is, a tremendous pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Uh, I just love you. And thanks oh, for being on. Thank you, Eric. I love you too. And thanks for having me. It's just been thrilling and fun being with you here. How great is Stephanie? Did you fall in love with her? I hope so. Uh, she and her husband are uh, two of my and my wife's uh, best friends. Um, if you're interested in more great interviews with creative and amazing people, stay here. Get more of them. Subscribe to this podcast. Share this podcast with your friends. And as always, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. There's a place for you to communicate with me. We will have more amazing guests as always. And uh, I want you to stay engaged. Uh, now that the elections are over, it doesn't mean your job as a citizen is over. It means you need to stay engaged, read, write your elected representatives, talk to friends, vote again when it comes up again. You get it. All right. Please be safe. Have fun. And I'll see you next time. Bye bye.